Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837, and FSP, dedicated to food service excellence. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us, if our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, today is the third and final installment in this little series on St. Paul. During these weeks after Easter, we read from the Acts of the Apostles, and Paul, as I've been saying, is the lead character in this book. Though the other heroes and apostles are featured, he is clearly the star of the Acts of the Apostles. Also, he is, after Jesus himself, the most influential figure in all of Christian theology. Last week I said that all of theology, in some ways, is a footnote to Paul. As we read in these short letters he wrote to the churches of Rome and Thessalonica and Philippi and so on, we hear the beginnings of Christian theology, the seeds of what the great figures from Augustine and Aquinas up to the present time have been wrestling with. Last week I said the heart of Paul's message is to live in Christ Jesus. That little phrase, en Christo, in Christ, occurs 83 times in Paul's writings. He says it over and again, to be incorporated into Christ, mystically participating in him. That's the heart of the message. Because in this new king, unexpected Messiah, crucified and risen from the dead, we find rectification, justification, we are set right with God. So today, in this final segment, I want simply to draw out four implications from this basic idea of living in Christ. First of all, what I'll call the corporate nature of the church. St. Paul loved the image of the body, used it frequently in his writings. You know, we're many parts, but we're all one body. The church is like an organism made up of interconnected and interdependent cells and molecules and organs. Christ is the head and we are the members. Over and over again, Paul uses this corporate organic image to talk about the church. Mind you, Paul would have found the language, I think, of Jesus as one's personal Savior to be a little strange. In fact, that phrase is nowhere to be found in the Bible. For Paul, salvation was always a corporate event. It meant that you were drawn into this new organism, this new life form. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Well, listen, if Christ is living in me, then I'm connected to all those people in whom he's also living, all those members of his body. How can the hand say to the eye, I do not need you? 
Well, no, we're all connected. Whether we like it or not, my problem is your problem. Your joy is my joy. Your sorrow is my sorrow. All of us for Paul, living en Christo, in Christ, are members of a body. We can see it reflected, of course, in the Gospels. Very much in John's Gospel, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Son and the Father living in us. Our life drawn into the dynamics of their life. And then all of us who share in the Trinitarian life, therefore connected to each other. It's very strong. And friends, this is why St. Paul hated factions. One of the unifying themes in his letters is his hatred for factions. Remember he writes to the church in Corinth, I hear that some of you are claiming, I belong to Paul. Some saying, I belong to Cephas. Others, I belong to Apollos. Well, has Christ been divided? Did Saul, did Paul die for you? No, you're all one in Christ. The unity of the church was essential in Paul's vision. That's why, you know, we Christians, all of us, ought to be saddened by the divisions among us. Whatever denomination you belong to, when you sit down around the Eucharistic table and you cannot sit down with your other Christian brothers and sisters, there's something desperately wrong and sad about that. And with Paul, we ought to mourn factions, divisions, disagreements. They were the bane of his pastoral life. They should be the bane of our own Christian existence. That we are one corporate church. That was essential for Paul. A second implication from his basic idea of living en Christo, in Christ, is what I have to call a sacramental sensibility. A sacramental sensibility. Baptism for Paul is not just a nice religious symbol that we've cooked up that produces in us certain warm religious feelings. That's not it. Not a human construct that simply changes our attitude a bit. Baptism is a mystical event. Through baptism, we are inserted into the body of Jesus. We are made, in that sacramental act, participants in the body of Christ. It is through baptism that we are therefore connected to everyone else who's been baptized. You are connected, whether you know it or not, to a baptized brother or sister on the far end of the planet. Someone that you will never know consciously in this life, but you are connected to them organically because you're both baptized. That's how rich and strong and organic and mystical a sense Paul had of baptism. To be baptized is not simply to be a member of a club. It's to be Christified, made into Christ. Secondly, the Eucharist, which he speaks of very clearly in his first letter to the Corinthians. Beautiful, by the way, 
Paul is the earliest witness we have to the Eucharist because his letters are all written before the Gospels. Paul says, What I receive from the Lord I pass on to you. The night before he died, Jesus took bread. Jesus took a cup. He witnesses to the Eucharist. But then he says this, Our blessing cup is a communion in the blood of Christ. He knew that when we eat the Eucharistic bread and we drink the Eucharistic cup, we are not just engaging in some nice little human symbol or symbolic activity. We are participating in Jesus. We are being Christified, turned, as it were, into Him. So when Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, he's not just using metaphorical language. He's speaking in as literal a way as he knows how. It is through the sacraments of the church that we are incorporated into Jesus Christ. A third element, a third implication of living in Christo, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. For Paul, I would say, as for all the other great figures in the Old Testament revelation, no one is ever called to participate in the life of God for one's own sake. As though this is now my privilege. I'm living the life of God. No. To live the life of God is to be equipped with gifts that enable you now to be of service to the rest of the body and to the rest of the world. To be drawn into Christ is to be given gifts of the Spirit which enable you now to draw others into that body and to live more fully this new life. Everybody in Christ has been given a mission and equipped with gifts to do that mission. What are they? Well, Paul talks about them a lot in his letters, different places. Here are a few. Wisdom, gifts of knowledge, gifts of healing, mighty deeds, prophecy, the discernment of spirits, speaking in tongues, the interpretation of tongues, all these wonderful things, some extraordinary, some rather ordinary, but all wonderful. All things that we are given that we might build up the body of Christ. What's the greatest of the gifts? Turn again to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I might receive all kinds of gifts of wisdom. I might know all secrets. But if I have not love, I'm nothing. I might be given human tongues and angelic as well, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. I might have faith great enough to move the mountains, but if I have not love, I'm nothing. Christians, the greatest gift and the purest sign that you are living in Christo, in Christ, is love. For what is the life, teaching, dying, and rising of Jesus but an expression of love to the nth degree? That's what Jesus was. That's who he was. Love unto death. Total self-gift. 
That's why to live in Him and to be given gifts is above all to be given the gift of love. All the other gifts, prophecies and tongues and wisdom and healing, are expressions of it, conduits of it, vehicles of it. To live in love, love unto death even, that's what it means to live in Christ. Mind you, to be justified, rectified, set right, that's what it means. To live in Christ, and to live in Christ above all means to live in love. That's why don't drive a wedge between justification and love. They mean the same thing in Paul because they both mean to live in Christ. Last implication. To live in Christ is to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. This phrase comes up a lot in Paul's writings. Jesus Kyrios in his Greek. Jesus Lord, Jesus Kurios. It is a subversive phrase because the one who was called Lord in Paul's world was Caesar. Caesar is the Lord, meaning the dominator of my life, the one that orders and governs my life. Paul, knowing full well what he was doing, and that's why he got in such trouble, how he was, why he was often thrown into prison, knowing full well what he was doing, he said, no, to live in Christ is to acknowledge Jesus as the kurios of my life. He's the one who dominates. To him belong my mind and my will and my passions and my energies and my public life and my private life and everything in me. They don't belong primarily to Caesar. They belong to Jesus kurios, to Jesus the Lord. To live in Christ is to acknowledge this. He is the Lord of my life. To know that and to live it is to know the message of St. Paul. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Puzzled by school meal programs? Let FSP help you put the pieces together. How? FSP offers healthy, student-tested breakfast, lunch, and snack plans, fresh from our kitchens each day. Quality, service, affordability, that's what FSP has offered since 1970. To take advantage of this program, call us at 773-385-5103. FSP, we're more than a school food service.